I am what became of your child. I found an old baby picture of me and it was somebody else, not me. It was somebody pink and fat who never heard of sick or lonely. Somebody who cried and got fed and reached up and got held and kicked but didn't hurt anybody. And slept whenever she wanted to just by closing her eyes. Somebody who mainly just laid there and laughed at the colors waving around over her head and chewed on a polka dot whale and woke up knowing some new trick nearly every day and rolled over and drooled on the sheet and felt your hand pulling my quilt back up over me. That's who I started out. And this is who is left. That's what this is about. It's somebody I lost, all right? It's my own self who I never was or who I tried to be and never got there. Somebody I waited for who never came and never will. So see, it doesn't much matter what else happens in the world or in this house even. I'm what was worth waiting for and I didn't make it. Me. Who might have made the difference to me? I'm not going to show up. So there's no reason to stay except to keep you company. And that's not reason enough because I'm not very good company. The theater, the theater. Theater, theater. friends hey how are y'all doing man yeah (laughs) i'm just feeling overwhelmed i had such i i know this isn't going to be released until a week after i had such a fucking great memorial day just brain turned off day and then woke up this morning and the avalanche of everything that's happening in the next two weeks hit me and now i'm just in panic mode yeah, no, I feel you. I, it just you're needs not to get alone. rolling, and then I'll feel better. I think. Yeah, sure. you're you're not alone. I absolutely feel the same same damn thing for sure. I agree. I agree. Yeah. You feel on the I, same page? Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm at this point where I'm I've overpromised myself again. I'm I'm out of COVID world, sort of. Obviously, COVID's still <laughs> going on. We were just talking about how many cases there are, but I've like started overpromising myself again, and now yeah. I have too many things going on. So that's my life right now. Do you but it's fine. do you find that it's? I mean, I know some of that is your job and and jobs and work sure. and stuff. But do you yeah. find? I have found that I've been saying yes to shit just coming out of covid and being so desperate and horny for shit yes Um, i mean i'm i'm currently tech directing a show for deaf west at the kitty villa oh it's it's gonna be so hot we're gonna get so loaded cj directed by jenny coons uh and it's oedipus and it's uh oh yeah so we got version of it it's gonna mostly in asl at the getty villa which is like one of the most pu- beautiful spaces built in the past half century. Like it is gorgeous. gorgeous. It is a bit like a fringe festival, though, because you, everything you do, you have to load in and load out every time. Oof. Yeah, I every dig it. Time. But that amphitheater's hot. It's a really cool space. Yeah, it's really really cool. I'm excited about it. But uh, that I'm a tech director. I'm tech directing. I'm not a tech director. That's not what I do. But you are I, now. I am now. And I, I have done it before. I've done it. I did it for Shakespeare Youth Fest for years. I've done it for a lot of uh, productions. Um, but I just, especially like high school productions, if you want the truth. But I was like, sure, I'll take this on. And it has been a whirlwind. And it's been very hard. But that team is so incredible. It hasn't been a problem at all. Um, Scott, you brought up something. I don't even know what you were talking about. Moses, somebody. I don't know. What happened? Oh, Moses Ingram, who's in the new star Wars, Obi-Wan Kenobi show. She mm-hmm. is, which is good. Anyone watch it? Yeah, it's great. Oh my God. I mean, I, I love, love anything first star Wars yeah. as a, as a prequel nerd, as someone who likes the prequels a great deal. I, uh, I like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, and it's a good, it's an it's, aftermath. I, I think show. it's going to be a good, good bridge. We love it. Um, <laughs> but, and what's fucked up is there was a story like a week ago about how Lucasfilm sat her down after she was cast and went, Hey, this is going to happen. You're going to deal with racist, misogynist craziness online from this insane fan base. Um, but it hit today, and she's 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 kind of stood up to it on Instagram and to their credit, StarWars.com and 
all the official sites have all been like, if you don't like her, back off. Like we're is this the rocks. new um sort Third of sister Jedi Inquisitor person? Yeah, yeah, got it. Oh, she's incredible. Riva is the character. My goodness, name. yeah, what she's a amazing. So far, she's amazing. In that second episode when she does the the whole warriors thing. Obi Wan, yeah, I, no, like taunting. That's hilarious. Emma. That's exactly what I said. She did it. Was that like, it was a total, it was a total <laughs> fucking warriors moment. It's so fucking hot, and you just you you hate the character, but yeah. she's it's it's stunning work, and she's it's it. I just wanted to give a shout out because I don't understand. Star Wars people and Star Trek people have been doing this too. Like y'all are getting so it's so woke. It's like you can have an alien with three heads and two butts. Also, the whole all point of Star Trek was that they were so beyond all of the bullshit. Star Trek was hit. woke like, in 1967. Was... Exactly. If you don't get that, then you... it's sort of like when people like X Men, but they're like conservatives or like right wing. yeah i don't like, get it it's like if you're you don't get x-men then like they think they're the mutants it. yeah like, exactly no no, <laughs> oh, no. um yeah and mutants. so yeah no go ahead i was just gonna wrap up and just say you know she's gotten some blowback and i'll just say as a as a diehard star wars fan uh fuck off just yeah. fuck off like kick yeah. rocks motherfuckers go go find something else to jerk off to but like um it's just horrible. You got if if you can't handle a strong black woman with a lightsaber in a TV show, life's gonna be real fucking hard for you. So get over it. <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, uh, I also ahead, like Steve. the new droid, Lola, the little flying droid. You know that the toy for that is like already sold out, like to Christmas. Oh, I bet. Based on Friday alone, like they've and it's like I guess a really cool interactive toy. Now I want one. Go on, Bailey. Bailey's bored. Yeah. Sorry, Bales. <laughs> no, it's fine. I think this is great. I think this is a great way to start off our discussion <laughs> on this playwright. Uh, what a what a perfect segue. Uh, welcome, everyone else who has made it this far through that discussion. Uh, if you haven't turned this off, no. Welcome to Theater Theater, the theater podcast for theater nerds. And Star Wars nerds, apparently. Uh, we did do a whole episode on it. Go listen to Star yeah, Wars. Yeah, um, So we got to give our takes when things come out. I get it. Uh, but welcome to Theater Theater, the theater podcast for theater nerds. Made by three theater makers from the L.A. theater scene. I'm Jay Bailey Burcham. I'm C.J. Merriman. And I'm Scott Leggett. And each week we get together to discuss, debate, and disseminate the evolutions of the great playwrights by taking a macro look at three of their plays. And this is part one mm. of three mm. of our miniseries covering the works of Marsha Norman. That's right. <laughs> it's the sweatiest title we've ever had. <laughs> Cast Pod Third. <laughs> Hooray. During this it. series, we'll be taking a look at her plays Circus Valentine. Is that right? Circus yeah. Valentine? Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Circus, or I was thinking Valentina for some reason. Circus Valentine, Night Mother. Uh-huh. Yeah. Bridges of Madison County, <laughs> the musical. <laughs> I'm really excited about it. And uh, for all three of these eps, we are joined by the incredible, the incomparable, the absolutely fantastic chode goat 2000 hey chode goat how are you welcome no we won't we won't ruin the marsha norman miniseries any further with those chode goat 2000 (laughs) it's on your screen you don't believe you're right that's what i name myself on zoom it's fine no one else can see it but us and that's what you have to see when you edit that's what it's going to save as it's true it is that's exactly what it is chode goat 2000 you'll always know sometimes i when i go to start our mixing and like our, I'm pulling those files and they pop up and I'm like, what the fuck is happening? Who? Like, During the fringe one, just know, to fuck confused. with you, I name myself Michael Shaw Fishner. <laughs> <laughs> the difference is the end. Yeah, it was uh, funny. Yeah. Uh, Michael Shaw Fisher, go see his show at Fringe. Okay, so we're we're talking about Marsha Norman. Now, this is a playwright I like knew pretty little about before this, except that in theater school. There's a lot of, like, sort of lore around her. Not even lore, just, like, oh. she's sort of on a pedestal, right? Like, there's this kind of, like, oh, Marsha Norman. Right. Yes. 
one of the greats. And I think part of that is the Juilliard thing, which we'll get to. Mm-hmm. But and part of it is just the night mother thing. I think mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we're talking about a play today, though. That's not. <laughs> It's not one of our better ones. I knew it. We have a lot to say. We have a lot to say about it. But I don't know that that like diminishes her as a playwright because I have I have a take later and we'll we'll get there. But there's something that we like to do at the beginning. Wait, mm-hmm. what do we do first? Do we I always forget. I always forget. Do we want to do context or pedia first? Oh, Let's we could go either way. I think we've changed it up a number of times. Let's contextualize. Okay. I I would like you to start, Scott. What is your relationship with Norman? Yeah. Of the Marsha variety. And how did you enjoy reading these plays? Go for it. Yeah. Um, well, I was becoming a young, very young film film geek. And I remember... Young? Like J-U-N-G? Like Jungian? Jungian? Like no. Carl? No, no. Like oh. Y-O-U-N-G. Like forever. Sorry. I thought we were talking about dreams. Yeah. No. For a second. Okay. Um, and I remember when Nightmother came out and you know, it was a big critical darling, I think both and Bancroft and Sissy Spacek got nominated for Oscars, if I'm not mistaken. And and it was a big deal. And it was also as I was becoming a theater nerd, so I remember going to read it. But then really, <laughs> it was going through college and high school and acting classes outside of school um, where because of the tragic lack of female playwrights in, in America, there's a generation of women who had to do in in the eighties and nineties had to do scenes from night mother. Mm-hmm. And so you had, you know, two 18 year olds having to do these scenes <laughs> from night mother, night mother and crimes of the heart and, and crimes it. of the heart. So and much Beth and la- laundry, <laughs> so much la- Beth. La- laundry and bourbon was another one. <gasps> yeah, sure, I sure, love sure. laundry and bourbon <laughs> well, and I love Lone Star next to it and Lone Star. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, Sorry. but it was, <laughs> So that, that's my that's my memory of it. I really didn't connect until Color Purple came out, the musical that <laughs> this is horrible that she was even still kind of writing. Of course, she's been writing nonstop the whole time. She's a right. novelist. She's an essayist. She's written a lot of television, um, you know, both episodic television and and uh, made for TV movies and that sort of thing. So she's not never stopped and all that but yeah that was that's my thing so it was seeing a lot of night mother back in the day and i'm really interested i have not done our reread for next week's episode yet and i'm really interested to see how it impacts me next day um i i read night mother in the second semester of major dramatist my freshman year huh. uh we then watched the sissy spacek and Bancroft movie. Cool. Um, and then I didn't realize until I saw the script of the the list of her work. I saw The Secret Garden when I was like eight years old. It was like the second professional theater tour that I saw after Les Mis. Sure. Oh, right. And my mom was like, this is a musical that's just for you. And I just remember watching it, it and thinking like, I don't like it as much as Les Mis. Yeah. But I do vaguely remember watching it when I was much, much younger. That's it. Yes, CJ, but it is about you. <laughs> a small child wanting to get away from her horrible life goes and hides in the <laughs> on the ground. LA is home. my secret garden. That's right. That's right. Aww. Let's do secret garden, and I'll play the lead. I don't even know her name, but Claire. It'll be me with a no. It should out of my mouth. it should be Bailey as <laughs> yeah the girl. Also, I made uh, that up. It's not Claire. I don't know her name. Um. Okay. That. So yeah, what's I mean, your context? My context is that, similar to you, Scott, I saw a lot of these scenes in college, and then we had to read Night Mother at one point, and I was sort of like, I just, even before I read it, it's always been sort of just that play in my mind, and I think to other people, and like sort of in the mainstream when you say Night Mother, most people are just like, oh yeah, the suicide play. Uh, Spoiler alert. But like, they're sort of like, oh, that one about, about suicide. And you're like, Oh, I mean, I guess it's about just suicide. like the seagull, <laughs> yeah, right? Well, people tend to do that with that too, where they're just like, "Oh, the the one where it's suicide, suicide yeah. play." Yeah, like well, right? Yeah, I guess yeah, that does happen. Yes, and yeah. <laughs> reductive. It does take place. Much? I guess. Yeah, I guess we could also say that about a lot of Shakespeare, but we don't always just go like, "Oh, the suicide one, the one with suicide." <laughs> um, and so I think 
it lost a lot of its power due to that in the mm. mainstream and even to like me and to to theater people it's lo- it's it's sort of become a joke it's just like oh night mother oh Oh, yeah, you're going to do a yeah. scene from Night Mother in this scene study? Okay, have fun. <laughs> and it's a bit silly. But, yeah, I like the Sissy Spacek movie. I think Anne Bancroft's great, and I think Sissy's great. Uh, I'm a big Sissy fan. I love me some sis. Yeah. Um, Coal Miner's Daughter. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the one where she burns up the burns up the prom dance with her mind? No, it's no. the one where she's a coal miner. She's a coal miner. It's fine. Uh, we love Sissy Spacek. Uh, Ring... The Ring 2? She's the mom in The Ring 2? Oh, okay. right. Wow. Uh, she's also in Bloodline. We keep bringing hey, it up one way Bloodline. or another. Uncle Danny. <laughs> ben Mendelsohn. No, we, yeah, that's true. Sissy Spacek's great, but the, the movie's fine. I also realized I had seen a lot of monologues from the play we're talking about today. No shit. As I was reading, I kept being like, why do I know this monologue? No, I know, but I think it's just because they're easy to pick up from a script library to be like, ooh, Marsha Norman, yes, and then you see a thousand monologues, and you're like, great. So I I think that's why I had seen them. But my other context with her is that I took this playwriting intensive in college that was actually one of the best things I did in college. It, It was kind of incredible because we would bring things we were working on we would read them out loud as a group and then this guy from Juilliard um his name was Nathan something another I don't remember his last name Nathan something he came and he would like actually really get in the nitty-gritty with us and and focus on what we needed to tune and whatnot and actually Basil and Dick a play that I wrote Mm. uh started in this Oh. Uh, in this sort of incubator. And so he was Marsha Norman's, like, protege. Oh, okay, uh, cool. From Juilliard. He was, like, her teaching assistant and, like, had come out of this class that and became, like, her ultimate kind of apprentice, protege sort of moment. And so, Do it. Do it. And Do he, it. he was Anakin. And he <laughs> taught me a lot. He, he taught me a shit ton. Um, and... I, it was only a few weeks, like it wasn't even that long, but I remember, well, that's not worth telling. Is it? <laughs> yes, it is. Everything's worth I, telling. Okay, well, I had, this was in the time, you know, I'm I'm like 19 when I'm taking this, and Basil and Dick, which is now a story about a vaudeville dressing room with a tap dancing comedian and a drag queen named Dick, who are sort of in a entanglement and have a history and whatever. It used to be, uh-oh, about now Nathan was a, a African American man and I uh the, the Basil and Dick used to be about a drag queen and a minstrel blackface performer. Mm-hmm. And it was purposefully cuz I was 19, uh really offensive. And th- it had a point by the end it got to its point and was a sort of anti it actually it was kind of anti disney i don't know how to wrap this back around to mattering to this podcast but it was like i was talking about like the minstrel characters in disney and like that kind of mm, you sure. know the white gloves and the mickey mouse of it all and like all that kind of stuff and it had a point was it good no but it said the n word a lot and when we first read it, I took the part that said that because I was just like, I don't want anybody else to have to deal with that. And I read it and we finished and he was like, besides the fact that I had to just listen to you say that word so many times, which I was like, oh, shit. He was like, I actually think this works and let's work on it. And he like fully worked on this play with me and 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 got it to a place like we deleted wow. a lot of the n-words let's be clear but i thought i was being clever by being perversive and he was like no actually be clever first and then add mm. perversive and i was like uh-huh. oh you're right and so i had to restructure it and made this whole new thing and then it became a a more legit piece but then i came back to it years later in need of of inspiration and i went there's something here but what if it's not so fucked up 
Like, what if it's, what if I just like allow it to be like more in this world that I've built and not so much like trying to say something. And I think I've done that. I think I kind of, I think I can, now it's all dick jokes. So. (laughs) And funny dick jokes. They're funny. They're funny. Word. A lot of cum jokes. Um, I don't know why I told that whole story. My point is that I learned (laughs) a lot as a writer in that, in that, because it was, you know, I mean. When you're 19 and you watch a lot of Tarantino and you think you're smart and True Romance yeah. is your favorite movie. Sure. You're like, oh, I'm going to make this white person say the N-word a bunch and the other person's going to be black, so it's going to be really perverse. No, and it uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like Sarah Kane's skin, though, where I, I had read that. So I was like, I can mm. do this. I'm allowed mm-hmm. to do this. I'm not. Um, okay, <laughs> cut that not. whole story out. That was no, no, don't cut anything. Ah. Uh, anyway, I like Bridges of Madison County and Color Purple. Okay, uh, <laughs> Secret Garden's fine. In my secret garden, I love to watch the flowers grow. In my secret garden, I don't I even remember any of this music. Words. Oh, okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm making all that up. Okay, so, Scott? Yeah? I want to know about this, this person. Person? <laughs> this, this, this esteemed Juilliard professor named Marsha Norman, please give us the breakdown of her life in CJ's Breakdown. Go. <laughs> what? No. CJ's Breakdown. Capedia. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. Yeah, that one. Uh, Sorry. Insert that singer now. Scottpedia. Professional. Oh, Just being punchy. an asshole. No, we're all being punchy. Hey, Marcia Norman was born in Louisville, Kentucky on September 21st, 1947. Mm. She was the oldest of four children of Billy and Bertha Williams. Billy and Bertha. Billy and Bertha, Bertha. Hey. Yeah, like, <laughs> Bertha go ask them. Uh, as a child, she began attending productions uh, by the newly founded, at the time, Actors Theater of Louisville, which was founded in 1964. Louisville. 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 Uh, Louisville. <laughs> it depends. It gets a little weird there. It's not quite like other Vols. I used to go... I used to go to National FFA convention there, and they were very clear that it was Louisville. Here's the thing. Sometime. It depends on what part of Kentucky Louisville you're in. Louisville and New Orleans both. Every time someone says it, I hear they say it differently. And every time I question it and they go, I'm from there, I know. Or I've been there, I know. Or I have spent a summer there doing summer stock. Therefore, I know. I think at this point, like, just say words, y'all. I'm right. Louis Vile and and New Orleans, and we're over it. And Arkansas. Okay. <laughs> she received a bachelor's de- or a bachelor's degree from Agnes Scott College and a master's degree from the University of Louisville. Louisville. Uh, which is uh, where our friend Terry Tokentines also matriculated and got his master. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure did. Uh, She worked as a journalist for the Louisville Times newspaper and also wrote for uh, Kentucky Educational Television. She taught young children and adolescents in mental institutions and hospitals. These were perhaps her biggest influence uh, on the early part of her writing. Well, it's sort of what leads to, we'll get, we'll get to it next week, but it's yeah. what leads to her first major play, actually, which is sure, very interesting. I think we should find it. Cause it's, right, yeah. It sounds better than this one. All right, go ahead. Uh, I, it's in the compilation book. That, oh, we should have done yeah, that one. Circus fan. Keep going. Yeah. Norman's first play, Getting Out, was produced at the Actors Theater and then Off-Broadway in 1979. Uh, the, that show's success led her to move to New York City, where she continued to write for the Actors Theater of Louisville. Louisville. Louisville, Louisville, Uh, Norman has served on the faculty of the Juilliard School in New York City as co-director of Juilliard's Lila Aikson Wallace American Playwrights Program and is vice president of the Dramatist Guild of America. Actually, I just found out today that she finished her tenure at Juilliard in 2020 right as COVID was hitting. She's she's not there anymore. Uh, She has won several, several awards. She's written for uh, film, television. She's a, a novelist. 
novelist and an essayist. She has won the Pulitzer Prize and a couple of Tonys. She's doing just fine. She'll be all right. Yeah. She has the Pulitzer. She'll be fine. The Pulitzer. Pulitzer. Hearst and Pulitzer, have we got news for you? <laughs> and we all stand tall. <laughs> and we might feel small. And the time is now, and the name is mud, and the something, something, and the monkey does, and boom, 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 feel the fire, and this finally. I need to go masturbate. Whoa! No, what? Out of nowhere. Let's do another 10 on Star Wars. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair enough, Bailey. Fair enough. Go for it. <laughs> Um, so yeah, this play. Oh, are you, is that it? Is that all we need to know about Marsha? <laughs> yeah, that's all I got. Kind of like, yada, yada, yada a little bit there. Is there any, any game? Do you want to do the three, the two Oh, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get to it. It's I'm sorry. It. I'm, Jesus I'm producing a show superstar. and I have a very, uh, troublesome cast. I have a very demanding playwright and an even more demanding director that I have to contend with. Every single day. <laughs> I'm talking about you guys. Oh, you no, guys. not Jesus Christ Superstar. His Carl Anderson's coming back. Okay. Uh, or was that the whipping? Um, like Scott was. No, that was the top. That was the top. My mind is clearer now. Two. I'm at I'm thinking Pontius Pilate. You're thinking Judas. It's fine. Judas this is This is really great material. We should keep talking about how good it is. Okay, so <laughs> I think we should get on to this play because there's not like a there's not a ton to say, but I think that's there will be more to say about this play in future episodes because it will be interesting to chart how she goes from this <laughs> to the next two, yeah. right? To be to being like one of the more sort of known ubiquitous ubiquitous isn't the right word but, but like sort of like mainstream musical theater librettists right right yeah. like to from this like okay so scott this was your pick what what was it and why'd you pick it <laughs> why it's circus valentine and because I liked the title when we were when we were doing our prelim research, I'm like, yeah. oh, I've never read that. A play about circus? That sounds cool <laughs> as shit. And yes, because there's never been syn- another play about circuses. Uh, well, and then I'd read this synopsis that was like, oh, that seems compelling. Um, that wasn't accurate in any way, shape, or form to what I ultimately read. So, I, you know, if nothing else, I discovered... Um, Something I hadn't read before, and I read it. <laughs> we did indeed. Did we y'all did read that. the intro before from Marsha? Yeah, in that yeah, she. I pulled it, some funny quotes from that. Where that she, where she cracked me acknowledges up. that it was a dud. It's never yeah. been done again. It was uh-huh. done in what seventy eight, seventy nine, and then we should not probably again. do it. No, no. Yeah, there, there's other. There's, yeah. It's too boring to do. If it was bad, like just bad, like in in a in a kitschy sort of sense, then that would be one thing. But this isn't kitschy in any way. It's not. It's it's something. Or, it's something. Yeah. You don't yeah. want to know what happens. Yeah, I kind of wanted to hear how, how you were going to describe this. <laughs> All right. So, um. So shall we? How do we do that? Well, I'll tell well, you. It requires CJ going to a very dark place. <gasps> CJ's breakdown. A weirdly written play about a near broke traveling circus <laughs> that is settled in the parking lot of a shopping mall for a couple days engagement. Their contract, livelihoods, and even personal relationships are threatened when it becomes clear that their main attraction, juggling conjoined twins connected at their arms, who we never meet, are missing and no one except the ringmaster knows their whereabouts. Yes, the play is about that. <laughs> is it? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, that that's, that's the, the main question, through isn't line? it? It is. Well, so when I went to go, "Hey, what are the themes here? What is she right. trying to talk about?" Beyond 
family, quote, end quote, which is just a good old theme for anybody to sort of hitch a wagon to. Like, I'm like, circuses? Is circus a theme? And what's what's that all about? Also, it's kind of, she doesn't quite know the difference between a circus and a carnival throughout. Like, did you notice that? They have a fortune teller. You wouldn't have a fortune teller at a circus. A circus is a performance. A carnival would have a series of attractions. Same with the twins. Like, they juggle, so I guess they're performing. But ultimately, that would be a, excuse me, a quote-end-quote freak show at a carnival would have been the conjoined twins. And by the way, she doesn't use that term, so... No, no, she uses the offensive one. They also, uh-huh. um, I mean, they keep talking about how the ring, the ringmaster saved them from a freak show. Right. Like, that's one reason why, yeah. Well, and he's the, and he's the only one that kind of comes off as doing something actively good. Like, everybody else is just wallowing, as far as I'm concerned. You know what I mean? Like... There's two things I pulled from this that, to me, made this play of its time. Mm. And that's, I feel like in the late 70s, early 80s, circuses were a way bigger thing. Like, people don't go to them like they used... They don't go to them now like they used to. No. But also, and I know this having grown up with a mother that always watched talk shows and stuff, the 80s and 90s, like... There were always conjoined twins on on talk shows and stuff. It was kind of just yeah. like a hot topic that everyone was fascinated by and wanted to watch. They'd even and show up on like Sally it. Jesse Raphael and like Maury. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Ricky Lake. Yeah. So I feel like it's this cross section of a time that we're we're not <laughs> even remotely living in anymore. Yeah. And like we said, I mean, so this was first produced at the Actors Theater Louisville. She's still, you know, she's connected there at this time. And she this is for the Humana Festival, which we love. We love the Humana Festival. We do love the Humana Festival. This is Humana Festival 78-79. Uh, so we're about to head into the 80s. We're in Reagan era? Where are we right now? No, we're in Carter era. Oh, Carter shit, right. Sorry, sorry, sorry. You're in Carter era. The only era. time we've had a nice president. Oh, he's so nice. <laughs> he he's a nice guy. That's why he didn't get reelected. That's what my dad says. Yeah, Obama was an asshole, right? No, um, no. That's I'm kidding. No, we, heard yeah. what you, we heard what you said. We yeah, heard what fine. you said. Uh, so, I... <sighs> sure. I don't. Okay, here's my defense of this play. Here's my yeah, defense of this play it. because because she she has already done a play before this called Getting Out, which is very much also a humanifest in from '77, and it's sort of this. It follows this young woman after eight years in prison, contending mm-hmm. with like. All this that shit as she assimilates. Me when I read about it, yeah, it's like pretty interesting. And there's multiple selves of her. There's different people playing her, and it's like it's very interesting. And it got like rave reviews. Mm-hmm. People mm-hmm. were super into it. They were like, "Oh, who is this? This could be a new up and coming playwright." So then she does these things. It's called Third and Oak, which was kind of like these two plays that she sort of put together, but they're not really plays you can't really count them as like full lengths but then you have circus valentine which is just like this huge flop mm-hmm. it is and two a, full acts yes and it is a long ass play and it is and it took me forever to read and it is kind of aimless and it does feel a little bit like someone trying actively to not write the same play that they've written before sure and because getting out, which I'd like to find and read now after and reading more about it, is is very dark mm-hmm. and like really fucked up and uses a ton of of cursing and a, a ton of, of of like really raw language mm-hmm. to get its point across. And I think this this doesn't have that really at all for a mm-hmm. '70s audience anyway. There's nothing here that's like Mm-mm. really jarring. Mm-mm. Um and it's it's not like a nice play like I wouldn't say it's like sweet 
but it's like kind of like chill. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of action, right? You know, no, and I, it's yeah, yeah. I just, I just feel like she's, she's sort of fighting against, and it's, it's as, as a playwright, I think a, a lot of writers can feel this sort of, and actually any artist can feel this, that sort of fatigue after your first thing doing well, being like, okay, but let me show you what else I can do. Sure. Yeah. And I just don't think she can do this. Which, what is she trying to do? My argument would be she's trying to make, like, kind of a... She's trying to give us the same feel that, like, Carnival gave us, right? She wants to... Or, like, even, like, Venus, minus the racial side. Right. Remember um, Venus by... Yeah. Um, uh, Susan Laurie Parks. Susan Laurie Parks, where it's like, she likes the idea of Carnival. She likes the idea of circus. Mm-hmm. She likes the idea of that world being somewhere where things are happening. Right. And like like you said, CJ, this time people are kind of weirdly obsessed with like Ripley's Believe It or Not. And like that kind yeah, of Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's that extra Ringling Brothers is at its like peak it's in the seventies and 80s. Definitely at its yeah. peak. They're yeah. like booming, right? Mm-hmm. I remember in the nineties, I mean, you'd go and it was packed houses. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I saw a guy get his leg bitten by a tiger one time in front of a full <laughs> oh, a full stadium in Wichita, Kansas, at the Wichita Coliseum. Kansas Coliseum. Um crazy shit but so to me it's sort of like this play is exercise in not doing the same thing and she also in some ways if you compare her to say like tennessee williams tennessee williams has like 20 plays i don't like that i think Mm -hmm. are just boring and don't really go anywhere and don't really have anything to say and if you look at her list, she's written a lot. Mm-hmm. And I just think like we, we, it's easy when we don't, when we cover something like, excuse me, I'm going to say that differently. It's easy when we cover other playwrights and we just choose like their three most famous things. Mm-hmm. And we're just like, yeah, these are great. Let's talk about how great they are. But actively choosing one like this, that is where there's like little information about it. It's never been produced or published after the first time it was done. It's only published in a, a An collected anthology, plays yeah. anthology. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just think like, and there's a lot of typos and stuff in it too. A lot sure, of typos, that was weird. Yeah. I couldn't tell if that was just a weird digital upload of it or if it was just like, I don't know. That's Who just knows? how it is. But fucking Smith and Krauss, the, the fucking publishers screwed it up. Um, I'm just looking at the, front page of it uh but but i just think it's it's almost sort of like all of our playwrights probably have ones like this oh hell yeah i think we just happen to choose the wrong one (laughs) right and she's young she's 30 when she's writing this you know yeah and and you can feel that you're you're absolutely right i think that my issue is how does a prestigious institution like this other than her deep connection to it, decide yeah. that they're going to do it. And we should say that John Jury uh, directed this, you know. And oh, was... that was another college playwright for me. Oh, yeah. And, <laughs> and, and well, also, he was part of the whole regional theater movement, like, right. in the 60s. Like, sure. you know, he was, and he had, he directed everywhere, Guthrie and Goodman and all those places. Um, and he directs this, and I, I, I just wonder at what point you look at this and go, yeah, let, let's do this, because it it's seemingly a big play. There's a lot of, a there lot. is, you know, a, a lot in terms of set description, although you're kind of switching back and forth between three tents, you're nonetheless trying to have scenes in tents on, in, on stage. And then the the other question I had about it was, I don't quite understand structurally what's happening. So there are moments, it, and I'm asking the question seriously. There are moments within the play where, and uh, one of the actors is, you know, uh, you know, doing their act uh, in front of the audience. But while they're doing their act, they're actually giving the theater audience who's watching the play a monologue about themselves and what's right. going on. And I couldn't quite figure out like how that worked theatrically. Like it just seemed like this awkward, they stopped in the middle of their tiger performance and now they're going <laughs> to give you a monologue about. Yeah. I mean, tigers. I think there might be something interesting 
done theatrically with it that we just just isn't on the page maybe right sure. But, sure. Like, but i think there might be some blindness to the fact that her last play was so successful i think there might be a little bit of that sort of like well sh- i mean yeah and someone read it and was like i get it i get this and, like, yeah, and they didn't, you know, like, or, or, or they were seeing things that weren't there or, or the three of us are wrong. And there is something here that we're just not getting. And every other reviewer was wrong and every audience member was wrong. You know, it's sort of like there might have been something they all saw in that rehearsal room. She has that quote where she's like, and I had to go back after opening night and tell and talk to the actors uh, after those bad reviews had been posted. And that mm-hmm. was the worst. To this day, that was the worst part of the failure, was mm-hmm. having to go face those actors. Because I think they probably all really believed in it. They were all probably like, We've this all been in those shows. We've all been in those <laughs> shows. <laughs> Where it's like, this is going to kill, oh, and man. it just yeah. Yeah, This sucks. is going to rot. Yeah. Oh, what? And part of me thinks you need to be that way when you're working on a show that isn't great. But even when it is great, like you want to really love the thing you're working on. I think that's, of course. as artists, we, we have to do that in some ways. We have to compartmentalize in some ways even to do that with things we know aren't great. I've been in fucking... Oh, Jesus. I've been in Damn Yankees and Guys and Dolls. and Actually, sure. I like Guys and Dolls. But Damn Yankees and things like that. Where, so many times where you're just like, ah, oh, shit. All right. I got to talk like this. Yeah. I got to put on my, my uh, musical yeah. theater voice. And I got to do this thing. And they're going to love it. And they're going to laugh at everything you say because this is how it's written. You know? <laughs> but I don't like – you got to do your Peter Griffin voice. But I don't, I don't <laughs> really – no, uh, I know. I get exactly what you're saying. And because sometimes I've convinced myself to I've I've become a true believer, even though I knew the truth, yeah. because what else are you going to do? It's like, all right, I got a minimum of eight weeks of this. I got two. the next two months of my life are about this. I can either go in and hate it and mm-hmm. fight it the whole fight upstream the whole time. Or I just give in and go, this is. This is fun, and I'm having fun, like, you know. Um, you know and we, here I'm begins gonna... my thesis on why theater is a cult. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I, I mean, because you, 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 it's true. You absolutely have to believe it. And there have been times where I've been like, I have kind of gone, this is, I've kind of checked out and just done my work. And it's all uh-huh. worked out fine, you know. But, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, we all know. We've all been there, and we all know, you know. <laughs> Well, I mean, obviously she, she, I, I would be interested to have been inside her brain during the rehearsal process and everything. Like, I mean, it could have just been, it could have just been like, my first play was a hit. This one's going to be a hit. She was writing that You go on cruise control a little bit, maybe? Maybe. I mean, maybe, but also just having the confidence of like, I killed it. I'm just going to go out and kill it again. And then, I mean, clearly after it started getting bad reviews, she buried it. I mean, yeah. you haven't seen it again. Like Bailey said, it's only published in this one book. So I just think it was, I I don't know that you can be a super successful playwright, and not have some fucking flops in your anthology. No, you, I think that's you true. Need it. You need it. I mean, unless you're Lynn Nottage, but yeah. And I think, I think there's, cause Lynn Nottage is a, a gangster and everything mm-hmm. she's ever done has been amazing. Um, I was making a kind of joke. I don't know. I thought that was, <laughs> uh, sh- what were you just saying? Sorry, Siege. I lost the train of thought. Just the whole idea of, like, we've all got fucking flops. It, whether you're a writer or an actor or director, I mean, oh, like, right. I think she was riding the high. She thought she it was going to be great because right. people were jazzed on her. And, I and think, then it sucked, and she buried it. I think so, yeah. And I think even more than burying it, she used it as jet propulsion. Sure. She was like, like, she has a lot of quotes where she's like, and it, it became necessary for me to not feel that way with my plays anymore. So yeah. everything that I wrote after that, I poured myself into because I was like, I'm not going to just like put something out there. And I actually, I think that's really interesting because there's there are those sort of people that you wouldn't call like geniuses, but if they just like put something out and it happened, it's like, fine, okay, yeah, you did the thing. But if they like really do it and they really try and put themselves into it, they can make greatness. Yeah, You know, I think there are a lot of people in the theater world like that who are held back and are just sort of in that first mode um, and just like making shit, making shit, making shit, but aren't really driving it home. And And I I think she drives it home with 
night mother. Sure. And I, I admire, and I mean, who knows where she was at when this was all first going down, but that intro, especially reading it, like I admire the fact that she handled it the way she did of like, all right, that didn't go the way I thought it was going to. What's next? How can I make this different? Whereas yeah. I feel like I have heard of so many people that are like, you didn't like my thing. Well, you're doing this to me and you, it's you, great. You like people oh, that won't yeah. own their bullshit, you know? And I dig that about Marsha. No, you know, I mean, yeah. Go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No. Cause mine is a different. No, I was just going to say, I mean, I, I've seen so many people in theater punish others. You know, I've seen people who take lists of who doesn't come to their show and take lists of people who've talked about their, their badly about their shows. And it, it becomes this like vengeance thing. And most of the time it's just cause it just didn't work for whatever myriad of reasons to make a great play and to have a great production of that play and pull off everything, a thousand things have to happen right. And only one or two things need to happen wrong for it to all go awry and for you to feel like, fuck. Um, yeah. But punishing say, others is the thing that I've I've tried to stop doing over the years. Yeah, and let's just say, like, if you're doing theater or even film or any art, if you're doing theater so that your friends come and see it, right. you're probably doing it for the wrong reason. Mm-hmm. And the stuff you're putting out there probably isn't very good. And the yeah. reason I say that is because of the same reason I just said is like you're it's because then you're just doing the thing for your friend. You're just doing it so what that your you friends come for? see you do yeah. a thing. What if you're doing it for a real reason to like change a mind to progress your career to even like that's mm-hmm. a uh, that's a legit thing. That's a legit reason yeah. to do something. But at the same time, there is a driving force behind that that is more than just well, because I want my my all of my friends to come see it. if they don't come see it. They're not my real friends. They're not like, my no. friends. It's Actually, like, no. we are your real friends, and we've seen eight of your plays that you're, you've written now, and they're all bad, and we got tired of of having to fake it with you. Right. Yeah, truth. Hashtag Jeremy. truth. Yeah, you Jeremy. You son of a bitch. Jeremy. <laughs> bitch, Jeremy. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't know anyone named Jeremy. That's why I use that name. Okay. Um, <laughs> if your name is Jeremy and you listen to this podcast, we love you. And if your name is Tom... We also love you. Fuck you, Tom. Wow. Wow. CJ wow. don't like Toms, dude. Yeah, no Toms. Didn't we? Why yeah, did didn't we start up? something last episode about not liking a guy named Tom? Right. It was like four episodes ago. It's fine. It's <laughs> fine. Uh, no one listens to this podcast. It's fine. Ah, fuck. Ah, Is there anything else we want to say about Casa? Casa. Casa. About yeah. Circus Valentine. Yeah, I think what is interesting to me, because, again, and we've talked about this so much, the stuff that you can learn from failures or not successes. But what struck me the most about this was how nothing happened for a long time. Like, it's just sort of people talking about being stuck in the circus. Yeah, I'm in the circus. I fucked this this broad. Now I'm going to go fuck this broad and or you know we're we don't have any money because we're circus performers and you're not going to make a lot of money and so i just didn't know what it was about what what her i didn't couldn't see at all what her intentions were if she was talking about family if she was talking about performing um if she was talking about being on the fringes of society and 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 doing the right things you know all of that was just lost for me and um but i think it's a play that i may return to as i continue to write as i try and help people develop their shit because nothing really works in it and that's okay sometimes a glorious failure is a great learning experience my main question (laughs) is who was the character of leroy and why did we need him yeah, and then I kind of I I was wondering if that was slightly racist if he was supposed to be African American, um, and but I don't think didn't so. It doesn't say. It doesn't say at all. But yeah, why was that character there? He's just trying to get some free food and and, well, and maybe he, some. Well, I thought maybe he was going to be the escape hatch for uh, Trina for the young woman. Oh like, yeah, I thought so. she's going to go so, away so. with him and be better off because this isn't oh, a no. good place for her to be. 
because uh, the guy that's like 20 years older than her is hitting on her, and then he just disappears. He punches somebody, and then he disappears, and that's it. Oh, he gets, yeah, then, oh, yeah, Leroy, yeah. Tony gets bit, right? Tony? Yeah, Tony. Tony's, is that the tiger lion He's the guy? tiger, the, the lion. The lion tamer, yeah. Lion, yeah. <laughs> and lion Eva's tamer. former husband. Uh, you know, I was just looking through the cast list and the descriptions of everybody. Yeah. Uh-huh. Even these are boring. Yeah. She's 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 kind of just not invested. Like, and the, all of the the stage directions are are anonymous. They're just they're just like okay. Yeah, she's just like getting it across right. <laughs> and then you get to this, and it's like Fred Valentine, a heavyset man in his forties, ringmaster, manager of circus, bitch. Yeah, it, Valentine. Know, we Fred's should wife, we should we should Trina add Valentine, to Fred and Goldie's daughter. We should okay. add to that. Who also, you know, are also serial killer. <laughs> like, just add tags to each of those yeah, descriptions. Yeah, or like, here. And then write that play. Uh, Leroy. A thief in his early 20s. He is restless and hungry, but not uncivilized. What? <laughs> like, what does that tell me about him? And how does that affect this play? It doesn't. I don't but know. But then what his he... ending is he punches somebody and runs away. <laughs> Not uncivilized. What are you talking about? <laughs> Am I supposed to know that going? Like, I don't know. Like, I just it it doesn't it doesn't make sense. And it does feel a bit like someone writing a play. They know that the director is in the room with them while they're writing it. Uh-huh. Does yeah. that makes it's sort of like. And they, they discussed it, and they both got it. And so then they were just like, great, we don't have to put it in the script. <laughs> and so, like, there's just nothing there. Right. Oh, I see what you're saying, yes. It's just boring. It's just, like, the least amount of, of information. Uh, not a least amount of information, but just, like, the most basic two-dimensional information well, about everything. And who knows, too, because oftentimes aren't the stage directions written in by the original production stage manager? True. Yes. So this but could like, be that it was like, like it went so bad. She's like, yada yada yada. Let's just, it's fine. It's exactly. Fine. <laughs> exactly. But you know, but it's just hard when we've been reading Nottage and Wilson and, yeah. and and people who like really poeticize their stage directions sure. and their Hinter. extra texts. Sure. Pinter. Tennessee, oh. Tennessee Williams. I mean, talk about. Yeah, I was actually I surprised mean, by Pinter on reread because I remember there just being like, it just says B a lot, right? It just says long pause a lot. It's like, <laughs> no, he like gets in no, there. No, he, he really ready. does. Yeah. Fucking A. Ah, is there anything else to say? I think we've said everything we can. Um, I, I have a circus esque story to share. Oh. Fine. Uh, my dad, who is an agriculture teacher for 30 plus years, but also a farmer, um, in his classroom, he had a huge jar of formaldehyde that had a pig with one head and two bodies in it. <laughs> he he wow. was a farmer and they would always call one another whenever like their livestock were giving birth because oftentimes they would need help. Oh, so dad yeah. would get up at four in the morning and drive down the street, drive down the the road to help somebody out. And one of the, this pig gave birth to this one headed, two bodied pig and dad kept it in his ag, ag classroom. Wow. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what rad. happened to it. I think he said he left it for the next teacher, but that pig's got to be 20 years old by now. <laughs> Crazy. Did they formaldehyde it? Yeah. I mean, it was in a big jar of formaldehyde. So formaldehyde it in my butt. Okay. <laughs> Whoa. Which is Whoa. the same as your mouth. Yeah. Right. Cause mouths and butts. butts are the same thing. Yeah. We did it. <laughs> Learn that in science class also. Um, okay, friends. So what else do we need to do today? We don't need to do anything uh, super particular, do we? We just, we just get no, out of here. No, um, <laughs> we should maybe do a little just fast uh, spitlet. Spit yeah. LA Spotlight. Um, just uh, get ready for Fringe, folks. If you're in fringe. Los Angeles, the Hollywood Fringe is happening, and we're gonna start it, just dropping random Fringe episodes on y'all's. Yeah, faces, you're gonna be getting them. We're gonna be covering it. We have, or will have, press credentials Ooh. to see stuff. Um, we have microphones to record live yes. on the streets. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a blast to, uh, experience fringe. Um, and like, I'd like to hype our show, uh, mm-hmm. three guys, one group on written by our very own Jay Bailey Bertram, starring yeah. our very own CJ Merriman produced by your very own Scott Leggett. Um, it's 
really funny. Like you guys finally put it together, CJ. Like yeah. it's been like a long haul of having to watch yeah. rehearsals. I'm being horrible. I'm being horrible. No, but I even and, did a little choreography for it. You did but some it great truly the play itself is a difficult one to work on and watch because it's so repetitive and samey. That's mm-hmm. sort of the point. It's very Godotian in that way. So there's that kind of like I, it could get really boring to work on and watch through a process, especially when you're not meeting very often and you're just like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. But now I, I agree, Scott. The last time I saw it, it was it was really clean. It was really it was clean and clear and under control. And funny and funny and heartwarming. So yeah, check out Hollywoodfringe.org. Um, go see shows. Like if if you're not a big theater goer in LA, um, just go check out some shows at Fringe um, and have fun. And I want to holler about the other show that I'm producing. If you like theater and you like podcasts, come see the show I'm producing with Daisha McGee, Dr. Daisha McGee. Let's get silly. Every performance is going to be a different cast of people. And every single performance is going to eventually be an episode of the podcast in this third season that we're just starting. So too cool. Transcending forms. We love, love it. Love it. I'm stoked. Yeah. We're also streaming it, so. Yeah, I don't have anything else. Come see Uncle Vanya. That's it. Yes. We open this weekend. Yeah. Uh, we just opened. Uh, when this drops, we have just opened the right. Sunday night before. Uh, so come see it. It's running through end of June 2022. Yep. Oh, and Our Country's Good also. Our Country's Good. Come see Keela's that. Keela's in it. Keela's in it. Uh, it's in South Pasadena at the South Pasadena Theater Workshop. That's all we got for the the spitlets, but uh, join us again next week as we start uh, the chronology chronology Chronology. of (laughs) Marsha Norman's work, and we'll um, we'll uh, we'll be covering what's the next one? Night Mother. Night Mother. Night Mother's next. Yeah, my pick. Next week is Night Mother. CJ's pick. Very exciting. And uh, then the next week we'll be doing Bridges of Madison County, which was my pick. And after that. We got another Instuff episode for you. That's right. It's Peter Pan Live starring Christopher Walken <laughs> and Allison Williams. Can't. Got it right here. It's right behind me. It's already made it into the Blu-ray pile. Very yeah, exciting. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. Uh, and then uh, after that, do we want to announce? We'll wait. No, wait. Next we is. We just discuss it. We just discussed it. We'll save it because I want people to guess ah. who the next person is. And I'm just going to say the name. Do it. No, actually, I'll say it next time. I'll save it for next. It's too easy. It's, <laughs> it's too, too easy. easy. Yeah, this okay. is too easy. I'll save it for next time. Okay. Um, um, that's all I got. Questions, comments, please reach out to us via email, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Next is Scott. Thank you, CJ. A big shout out to Ryan Thomas Johnson for writing our theme song. Our theme song is better than your theme song. Yep. Hashtag, hashtag truth. He also writes all of our stingers. He's an amazing human being. We love him. Also, a big shout out to Pamela Quinn for writing our Marsha Norman-centric song, which you are about hey, to cute. hear. Uh, Pam contributes to almost every single episode. She's going to be a guest again soon, so stay tuned for that. We love you, Pam. Uh, and then finally, to the great Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright, Annie Baker, who writes every single one of our episodes, and she doesn't even know it. And one day, Annie hey, Baker. Scott. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Nothing. Go ahead. (laughs) I saw what you were doing there. (laughs) One day, Annie Baker, we're going to buy you a beer. (laughs) It's very Annie Baker of me to interrupt you that. Since y'all fought about that ending last episode. I thought that was funny. It was funny. Okay. (laughs) Um, Okay. Subscribe, rate, review. We love you guys so much. Marsha frickin' Norman. She deserves all of the energy that she got on this episode. Because next week's going to be sad. So we had to bring it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Where is love? Does it fall from scars? Oh, God. Is it underneath? The willow tree that I've been dreaming of. Where <laughs> <is> <laughs> who I close my eyes to see? This is
everybody. Just have-